2: Welcome back to your post-game and post-season, not playoff post-season, meaning after the season, Orange Brown Talk podcast. Doug Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Pasco, and Ashley Bastock, it's over. Browns finish this 8-9 and nine season with the win over the Cincinnati Bengals. We will talk a little bit about... Things that happened in that game that do matter a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Case Keenum. We want to talk about Jadavian Clowney, what he did, what he said about his future after the game. We'll talk about where the Browns are going to draft. We'll talk about their schedule a little bit. There are some things we learned. We have a whole offseason to do big, 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 big picture on the entire franchise. But Mary Kay, you had a report that came out before the game on Sunday that is obviously very important to the future of the Cleveland Browns. Why don't you take our listeners through what you have learned in the last uh, 24 hours?
1: Well, uh, one of the first things that happened was that Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski had their exit meeting on Friday. They had to do it on Friday because Baker Mayfield is having his surgery on the 19th, but first he's uh, just taken off and he's heading to Austin, Austin, Texas, his hometown for a little while. So maybe he had to get out of here on Monday. But also this meeting between these two, as we all know, was going to be more extensive than, say, his meeting with MJ Stewart. I mean, they needed to talk about some things and, uh, they needed to clear the air a little bit. And from, you know, from what I can gather, uh, those meetings were, you know, they were positive and they were necessary. And, and again, I, I, you know, I think they will definitely keep the lines of communication open. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the, the way that it's, you know, sources have told me is that, uh, you know, the plan right now is to come back and have. Baker Mayfield be the starting quarterback in 2022. That is that's the plan right now. Uh there really are no plans uh to do any kind of even a short-term extension. This is about uh bringing him back at his fifth-year option, which has already been exercised. It's a guaranteed 18.86 million dollars and um and and that's basically it. I mean they they feel that he is uh, going to be better next year when he's healthier and when some things around him improve. And I think part of it is the fact that I don't think that, uh, that there are a ton of veteran quarterbacks available right now at this moment, uh, that they think they could get their hands on.
2: So that if that happens, it would be rare for that to happen that, of, 2011 was the first year of the sort of these new rookie contracts where they had added the fifth year option between 2011 and 2018, there were 25 quarterbacks taken in the first round of the draft. 2018, the the year Baker was drafted. Baker would only be the third quarterback of those 25 to play with the same team on the fifth year option without an extension or without being gone. Most guys, by this point, you're either a yes or a no, Mm -hmm. right? Like half those 25, it was like, yeah, Blake Gabbert, not it out. So he's not that. But then a, some percentage of those guys, I think 10, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck. It's like, yep, him signed the extension, no doubt about it. So this is this kind of weird in-between place to be sort of still trying to figure out who you, what your quarterback is. Who is he really in year five that we're committed enough to say he's the guy, but we're not committed enough to sign the extension now. I mean, it's not unheard of, But I just want people to note that it is rare. Maybe the best comparison is Dak Prescott was not a first round pick, but the Cowboys in year five put the franchise tag on him. He played year five, got hurt. And then when he was out, the Cowboys were like, oh, my God, we have to make sure we sign this guy. And then he signed the big deal. But if you remember that entire offseason with Dak Prescott, my God, it was like all anybody talked about on the ESPN shows was Dak Prescott's contract status. So that's also something you would be looking at but we're not going to talk about Baker Mayfield for 45 minutes on this podcast. We do have other things that we can learn from this game. I want to ask this case Keenum two and oh, oh, two and zero, baby as the Browns starter this season, who thinks that case Keenum should have played more for the Browns this season and, or that if he had played more, the Browns might be in the playoffs right now. And want to raise their hand on that.
1: I'll raise my hand just very briefly. I just want to say that after, you know, seeing him play today, seeing him operate the offense, I think he would have operated the offense at least as as good as Baker Mayfield did in some of these games and may have been able to even put a few more points on the board in some of them. Uh, So in the interest of Baker, just kind of healing up a little bit, maybe, maybe some of those weeks when he had the heel and the knee, you know, maybe throw, you know, throw case out there for a couple more games, And I think it could have changed the season.
3: I, I think it's a fair question too, at at this point. Um, And I think it was a fair question before today, because Mm -hmm. I I keep going back to this reply. I got on Twitter. It's like haunted me ever since the new England game. So Baker got dinged up in that game and got replaced in the fourth quarter. It was over Baker limps to the podium after the game and says, I'm going to start next week. And so I tweet that out and somebody replies, well, thank God I didn't know where I was going to find a quarterback who could throw for 73 yards next week. And I do think there is something, especially with the benefit of hindsight, to looking at how Baker played over the last month and a half of the season, mm-hmm. throwing you know four interceptions in Green Bay, turning the ball over at a really high rate, completing 55% of his passes, 56% of his passes. I mean, like these are as bad a stats as a regular Brown starter has put up since they've come back over the stretch of a season or probably since new England, I think it is fair to say, could case Keenum have come in and completed 60% of his passes, which is not good. I mean, 60% is not good, but like, could he have done that? Yeah. Taking care of the football? Probably. So yeah, I think there's a case to be made that even case Keenum, if he would have played poorly, could have given you another win, another two wins. I don't know. There there's, there probably is something
2: there. I feel yeah, like I we did we did miss an opportunity this year on our website to not like debate this more extensively. Just for the headline, a case can be made. I feel like <laughs> uh, we blew that. Anyway,
0: I was, I was just gonna say that like with everything um, with Baker's injury, I think at the very least, if your options are case, either wins you more games. Or wins you the same amount of games, then for Baker's long-term health, that would have been worth it for me. I think in a lot of ways, um, and just thinking about plays that Baker Mayfield made throughout the time I've been here, at least, and, and post that injury, we talked about Baker has a higher ceiling with Case than Case Keenum. We thought, and that was the gamble that they were taking. But at the end of the season, I don't know that we got like those big plays, those game defining moments for him that made risking his health long term worth it for me. And I think worst case scenario, you lose a couple more games and you're not in the playoffs anyway. And the excuse essentially sort of becomes like, well, we didn't have all our guys and it's fine. But (laughs) now like the narrative is just so different, which we've talked about before and things like that. So I I agree with Dan. I mean, I think it's a fair question to, to debate and everything.
4: So which which games, I guess, were they going to win with Case Keenum? I mean, maybe the Steelers, since that was close, but are they beating the Patriots with Case Keenum? Uh, I mean, they I think the mean. whole argument here is you have Baker Mayfield getting better. You have Case Keenum on the field. Baker doesn't get hit week after week, and he comes back and he's healthier. But he did. He They had the bye week in week 13. Two weeks later, he did not play. I would imagine that going into that Packers game, he was probably as healthy or as had gone, had had as big a stretch without getting beat up as he had had all season. And then you got what you had against the Packers and the Steelers. So I I don't I don't know that it would have made a huge difference. Had case played.
3: I, I do think, though, I mean, over those last these are his last six game stats. 53.37% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 64.1 rating sacked 19 times. He was not, I mean, he wasn't just bad over the last six games of his season. He was awful. Like I don't even know how, I mean, again, that's as bad. That's as bad a quarterback play statistically as the Browns have had since they came back. Like that's not an exaggeration. When we talk about regular starting quarterbacks, could they have beaten the Packers with case? Maybe. I I mean, the Packers certainly didn't play great in that game. You know, Nick Mullins almost beat the Raiders. You know, I don't know. I I don't know if it leads to more wins, but I think when we, you know, the case, like Ashley said, was like floor versus ceiling, right? And Baker's floor ended up being really, really low, and we never got to see that ceiling.
2: It clearly was the worst-case scenario of what could have happened by continuing to play Baker Mayfield, because it's like they lost – They didn't make the playoffs. People are questioning his future as a Brown and everything stunk. Like it's just, it was, but I think it was still a worthwhile experiment to see, because I feel like you're putting a lid on your team with case Keenum. He was 17 of 24 for 176 yards, two touchdowns and interception. Awful pick at the goal line. Like that's (laughs) if Baker Mayfield had thrown that pick, at the goal line, people would have gone nuts. And again, I, the fourth down throw that they didn't complete to People's Jones, like, was that not a great throw, right? Again, like, right That was in, not a
4: great throw. Not
2: a great throw. Right that was not a great throw. throw. So that was that's, behind him. So that's a bad throw on fourth down, which is a turnover on downs. It's a ball that gets tipped. But still, I mean, that's partly on the QB for a pick in the end zone, right? The touchdown to Jarvis Landry, a backup defensive back, falls down. It was against the second-team Bengals defense. And they still only scored 21 and he's still only through for 176 yards. So like, I'm not saying it's an invalid discussion. This means nothing to me. Cause honestly, if Baker Mayfield had thrown for 176 yards with that pick against Bengals backups, we would have been like, I should, they cut him tomorrow. Right. I mean, like it's this was not good, but this was, I think also representative. This was like, it was fine. It wasn't good. It was fine. But I think it was perfectly representative of what Case Keenum would have given you. And I think we all held on to the idea of there's a Baker upside. There's a Baker upside. It's hiding. It's hiding. It might be out there. It might be out there. And they waited as long as they possibly could in the search for that. And was that wrong? No, I I don't think it was wrong. And the idea of when a team has all week, a team that's trying to win has all week to plan for Case Keenum. I don't know. Can you put 12 guys in the box in the run game? I don't know. Would Nick Chubb have run for negative yards on 25 carries? I just don't know how that looks because I just think Case is pretty limited. And nothing about today really changed my mind on that. He, I'm not saying he's a bad backup quarterback, but I wouldn't have like wanted to roll for five weeks with Case Keenum as the dude. I don't know.
1: I think the bar is just. I think in the point like Dan is trying to make and and showing just how bad those stats were over the last six games. I mean the bar was set so low that you know Nick Mullins might have played better than Baker Mayfield in some of those games. Like Nick Mullins might have had a better chance to play. Uh, so I, I think it's just. Uh, I think it's just you know it's it's worth kicking around the notion of like you know how bad that actually was and would one of those guys. Case mostly uh, have made much of a difference. I mean, maybe not, maybe, but sometimes one game is all you need. One or two games is, you know, enough to, to change the, the course of, of things. So. Yeah. I mean,
3: I, I think that's, I think the problem with the discussion is that, and again, what, I mean, I've, I've said going back to when they first signed him, like don't overrate Case Keenum right. that year in Minnesota was an outlier when he had the best defense in football. But at the same time, I think this, I think the bigger point of this discussion is your quarterback held you up so much that like average performances from case Keenum would have been, I mean, you know, that that video has been going around of Baker taking the TJ Watt sack on, was it like third and two? And there were like three guys wide open and he couldn't pull the trigger. I think case at least pulls the trigger on that throw. Now, is it behind a guy? Is it over a guy's head? Is it, you know, is it, a, is it a bad throw? Maybe, but I think he at least, gets the ball out on time and pulls the trigger and doesn't get sacked nine times against Pittsburgh. I, I think it's things like that. So I think it's more, I think it's less a case Keenum discussion and more of a, just like everything else, it's just more of a Baker Mayfield discussion. Like he was costing you games at the end of the year, yeah. whether it's because he was hurt or whatever, but Anyway, like you said, this is a Baker Mayfield podcast. I do really quick
0: though, one last Baker Mayfield point from me before we get off this topic and talk about other things. Like, I do think it is interesting how we saw the messaging change regarding his injuries. Like obviously when they first happened and they're piling up and, and we're hearing a lot about it. And then, like, around the bye week, we get, oh, Baker is the healthiest he's felt since week two, and et cetera, et cetera. And then two weeks ago, all of a sudden, we're once again getting the rationale from multiple people, Baker included, Alex Van Pelt, that the harness has impacted him. And, like, I think the truth, like, lies, like most things, probably lies somewhere in the middle there. Like, that clearly, those injuries impacted him for all of the season, and the... Obviously, the issue with that is yes, that's an obvious like assumption you can make, but we still don't know how much I think, given the fact that he was still going out there like they weren't bad enough that they weren't willing to pull him, but clearly it was impacting him and it's that x factor that's in the middle of all of this that I think the messaging has changed on significantly multiple times over the course of the season
1: can can I ask something really super, super quick, and I know we weren't we don't want to spend this whole pot on this but I am just very curious very briefly what was everybody's reaction and just like a couple of words or a sentence uh or sentence or two very very quickly if we could just kind of go around the horn your reaction to basically the news that the Browns are at least for right now uh saying that Baker Mayfield is their quarterback for 2022
3: why so I can understand why you might want to send that message to Baker because you might need Baker to be your quarterback in 2022. Mm -hmm. But if that's truly what they believe, then I would just ask why that's all. I like, I just wouldn't make that super firm commitment to him. But again, you probably have to do that publicly because out of necessity, he might have to be your quarterback in 2022.
2: No, I I thought it was what, what you sort of have to say right now. It's it's the kind of thing that you would say right now to calm the waters. And again, until a better option is right in front of your face, um, I understand them saying it. It, To me, I'm not saying they're lying, but to me, that doesn't mean 100% that Baker Mayfield is going to be the starter for the Browns or the starter for the Browns for the entire 2022 season. But I, I understand why they're saying it now.
4: Yeah, the last game of the regular season is official off-season messaging day. You know, every I mean whether you're talking about your coach or you know owners are giving a vote of confidence on this or that or I mean this is when you say those things and this is when the news dump is and I think that was part of it.
0: I was just kind of like along those lines like what else are they going to say type of thing um, I wasn't that surprised by it that that's the messaging we're hearing um, I think maybe a lot of times like everyone else is saying these things can be more fluid than we realize in the moment um, and it's understandable why that is but it's not all that surprising that I think we heard that today
2: okay so again we'll, we will it's an interesting point Mary Kay um, and I'll be curious to say I, I wonder what Brown stands thought of it. And again, it's not like anybody is saying people are being disingenuous, but it's just the world of what you think today doesn't necessarily mean that's what you're going to think in March or June or September or November. Okay. So case Keenum again, we sort of had the discussion uh, I thought was a good podcast earlier this week about like who might be back and who won't be back. I do think they have reached the point where I want to back up quarterback with more upside one way or the other. I want to back up quarterback with more upside whether it's a young guy with it, whether it's a guy, a veteran who's played at a higher level more recently, who might be a little bit younger. I think that affected the Baker discussion this year that like you kind of knew what Case Keenum was and like, it's fine. If Tyler Huntley is the backup quarterback for the Browns, I might've been much more in favor of sitting Baker Mayfield down, right? Because there's something dynamic there about it that I feel like if a defense has a week to game plan for you, it's not going to be nothing, but Eight-yard passes. Let's talk about Jadavion Clowney again. The podcast we had about who might be back. Ashley, you were sort of tracking the money that Jadavion Clowney was making today, right? He's he's piling up sacks and piling up sack bonuses. I think everybody was tracking that. Um, I'm just sitting in my basement trying to follow along on Twitter. Sometimes I forget who tweets. I, I do. Yeah, follow, I was going to say Mary I Kay was tweeting
0: about this before. Maybe I you were re-tweeting nah,
2: Mary Kay. but well, yeah.
1: you know what? When I went, when I was doing some Browns Insider stuff yesterday, I uh, I looked up Jadavian's contract to see how much he made this year. And I was just looking to see if I could figure out what his market value was for next year. And lo and behold, I stumbled upon the fact that uh, he made an extra 250000 yeah. for the two sacks in Pittsburgh and that he was going to stand to make another. So I tweeted it out earlier before the game, uh, you know, and I was kind of making the point that uh, he also got fined twelve thousand something for for throwing the shoe, and I was like, "Don't worry about it. He can make an extra two fifty today. He'll offset." Yeah. that. But and five hundred k in two
0: weeks. And we, I, I don't remember if this was in your insider story before the game, Mary Kay. But when I was looking at spot track, spot track, I don't remember how we say it. <laughs> he would have gained, like it also helps make up for the fact that he would have gained another half a million dollars had they made the playoffs. So <laughs> over the course of two weeks, he made up that money that he doesn't get because they don't have a playoff appearance this year. Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah. you did write about Jadavion after, yes. after the game, Ashley, and generally enthusiasm from him post-game about being a Brown next year? Um, I think
0: what I appreciate about Jadavian Clowney is he is candid. I think in a way that a lot of players are maybe not as willing to be as candid as he is. And he did, you know, was honest that money is always a factor in these decisions that sometimes you can like being somewhere and the money won't be right. And obviously considering how good he has looked this year Um, And I believe coming into this year, he only played one full season, like without injury issues. Um, And he didn't play a full season this year. He had the knee injury issue in in week five and obviously missed two games because of COVID. But overall, this is like the first off season in a while that he's gone into feeling healthy. And he made the comment, like, I already feel like I'm ahead of the game because I don't have to have surgery on something like that's an insane comment. (laughs) When you think about it, like, everything, all the potential he had in, you know, the last two years, he's essentially been wandering the NFL desert in in Seattle and Tennessee and found a home here. Um, I think there's optimism that he, could be back. But I think like his comments about the money and money being a factor in this, like, of course, a guy's going to want to get paid, especially when you're you're 29 years old, who knows how many years he has left. If there's a better opportunity for him financially on a team, he feels like he could fit in. um, I, I could see him taking that easily. But he also has made it clear like he likes playing with Miles Garrett. He thinks they make each other better given the kind of competitors that they are. Um, I think he thinks he fits in on this defense. I think when we watch it, that's clear, especially with how good he is defending against the run. Um, so I think there's, there's reasons to be optimistic about him coming back. And there's reasons to expect that this was his last game as a Cleveland Brown as,
2: as well. So the Browns held the Bengals to 16 points. Again, we, we sort of dove into individual discussions about guys who might be back earlier, but general final vibes about this defense. It was Brandon Allen, right? Jamar Chase played enough to get his record. Uh, Joe Mixon didn't play. It wasn't the real Bengals. But is are, what kind of vibes are people leaving this season with when it comes to the Browns defense and then what the Browns defense might look like next year?
1: I think the secondary is going to be one of the best secondaries in the NFL next year. Uh, I think the future is bright in part because some of the really younger guys that were in their first seasons are going to take that next step up. And you're talking about Greg Newsome. uh, You're talking about JOK. Grant Delpit was in his first season. And Malik McDowell, he was also in his first season. So, you know, these are are guys that all should play uh, very, very well next season. And I think they will play together from the jump because they'll build on what they were able to do. Now, some of it is predicated on Jadavi coming back. I think he kind of really makes that defensive line, helps make it what it is and helps complement miles like that. So I, I think, I think that's huge. Uh, if, if he's not coming back, they need to find a good replacement for him and then they need to go find really another bona fide number three. But for the most part, uh, I, I feel that the defense is in fabulous shape for next season. Uh, you know, Denzel, will Denzel get his, um, extension, you know, we'll see about that. I would, I would think so. Uh, it seems like it's trending in that direction. Uh, nothing's written in stone, but, uh, I think that, I think that'll happen. I think Greg is going to end up becoming a, a pro bowl player, Greg Newsom. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that, I think it's just going to be pretty strong from front to back. If they can get that D end thing figured out.
4: Yeah. I think, you should really be excited about it, even with all the free agents that, you know, that are on this defense, because the bulk of the, especially the bulk of the unrestricted free agents are on the defense. But even if you take out those players, you still have your cornerstones or you have kind of the core players at every level. Now, you know, last going into this season, you really didn't have that. You had miles and Denzel and that was about it. Uh, But now you add in JOK and you, you add in, uh, you can include Delpit in that now, you know, and obviously JJ3, Um, but you have more to build around, obviously, than you did last season. They do have some important decisions to make on, on some of these, some of these free agents are, you're probably going to see new people rotating on the defensive line, especially in the middle. Um, You could see JOK and a bunch of new linebackers next season. Uh, But beyond that, it's, it's in really great shape and, you have to figure that it's not going to take them whatever, you know, four or five, six weeks to really click next season.
2: All right. Quick break. We'll come back and talk about schedules, draft picks and more next on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Off season, a great time to be a Browns insider. It's, it's kind of a different experience, right? That when it's the season is going on and you're all in and the Browns are everywhere and it's like, you know, we're adding to it. And then in the off season, it's like, well, stuff starts to go away a little bit. And then like where your lifeline. So it's a different kind of value, but I think in some ways the value is even higher in the offseason because you're getting texts in your phone and nobody breaks news on the Browns like Mary Kay. And then there's constant analysis that we continue with the daily update that you get access to and make sure you're getting access to all the stories on the website. So, again, I, I just would encourage you, if you are a Browns insider, thank you. And if you're not... This might not be a bad time to think about it. Go to Cleveland.com slash Browns. You can click there to sign up. Let's have a little discussion about why the Browns tried today. So they finished at eight and nine. They played their offensive line. They played some Nick Chubb and then a healthy dose of Dearness Johnson. They played their receivers. They played their entire defense for most of the game, at least until they got up two scores late. Dan, why did they do that?
3: Well, I... (laughs) You know, I'm when you kind of look at it, it's tough to really make the case as to why as to who shouldn't have done it. Like you're not going to you're not going to sit Joel Betonio and you're not going to sit J.C. Trevor or Wyatt Teller because all those guys, I, I guess J.C. technically lost his snap streak. But like Joel Betonio has not missed a snap since he got hurt. in what year was that? 2017 or whatever. 2016. He hasn't missed a snap. So they're not going to take him out. And J.C. has only missed snaps because of covid. Wyatt, I think, is at 100 percent this year. It's tough to tell offensive linemen to take a seat. They take a lot of pride in that. Look, like they played De'arnest a bunch. Nick Chubb only came in when DeErnest was tired. They were short on running backs. I mean, we saw a whole lot of Anthony Schwartz today. Uh, Demetric Felton was, was playing a decent amount at wide receiver. Rashard Higgins was not available today because he was sick. So, I, you know, I think they played the guys they had. And I was a little surprised how much Miles and Jadavian played, but – you know, I mean, the reality is the guys that are going to be out there are going to play hard and you can't really control whether you're good, whether you're going to actually win or lose the game. Most that's sort of always been the issue with with just all out tanking in the NFL. It's just hard to control the guys on the field. So, you know, I'm, I'm not super surprised. They kind of played with the bodies they had, but they did take it easy on a few guys.
2: I did think given that they were out of it, I thought did it. Did today go, like, almost as well as it could have gone? Like, they played their guys. They played their guys a decent amount. Mm -hmm. One. Baker was on the sidelines, smiling, you know, being part of the team. Like, they go into the – I I don't know what a – I don't know what a terrible – I mean, I guess if you lose, right? If you just look lifeless and dead and, you know. There weren't a lot of people there in the crowd, right? But I don't know. Was it a decent ending to a bad year? Or is this, like – You know, you got food poisoning from the entree and it's like, I guess the pudding was good. Who cares? So I don't know. Am I I, I grasping at straws here?
3: I I just talked for a while, so I don't want to go too long here, but I kind of feel like it was the latter. I didn't, I don't think there was any real emotion in this game from the fans or anything like that. I, I mean, I'm sure the players were happy, but I didn't get any sense from the, 20,000 people that were here. I don't actually know what the number was. It was probably a little more than that, but I I didn't get any sense from the people that were here that it was like, all right, yeah, the Browns won. It
4: definitely had a preseason vibe. It was like the fourth preseason game. You know, you're watching backups and, you know, it's coming down to the end and you want the game,
2: you want them to win, but you do not want it to go to overtime. You know, that kind of deal. And it was, I guess, in stark contrast to, I do like the idea, by the way, that like, I'm trying to think about like kind of a nice meal that gives you food poisoning and the dessert that I would think of at the end is pudding, because what's better than pudding at the end? I mean, my gosh, can you think of a better dessert than a nice, like a jello cup of pudding and you pull the plastic lid off and dive right in (laughs) that it was a reminder, I thought today, I mean, like basically it was, so it was super weird day, but the AFC, it was a reminder that how competitive the AFC is right now which again is something that the Browns are going to have to deal with that you're going to have the seven teams that make the playoffs. You have like another four that aren't going to make the playoffs that were there right at the end. The Jags are the worst team in the AFC and they beat the Colts to knock the Colts out of the playoffs. The Texans are the second worst team in the AFC. They give the Titans, they gave the Titans everything they could handle that. It was a very competitive AFC day. And now the Browns will play a third place schedule next year instead of a fourth place schedule because the Ravens finished fourth. I know somebody was pointing out on on Twitter, for instance, that would might mean, I guess that means like they'll play with the Washington football team instead of the New York Giants and the Giants are on fire. That feels like an easier win. There will be, there's maybe a couple of the things like that, Scott. I don't know. There's two things I'm talking about there. One being like, hey, reminder, it's a pretty good conference. And the other being like, Scott, they did make their they made their schedule at least slightly more difficult theoretically by winning on Sunday.
4: Yeah. I, I would just caution anybody against trying to figure out how tough or easy a schedule is going to be this far in advance. It just, it never works out. You never really know. Um, but yeah, they, they end up with a third place schedule. The AFC North uh, plays the AFC East and the AFC South just down the rotation. So you're getting teams like the Patriots, Jets, uh, Saints, and Bucks uh, here at home. Uh, they're going to go on the road against the Bills, the Panthers, Dolphins, uh, the Falcons next year, but the uh, the, the games that were determined with a third place um, finish uh, would be Houston. They're going to play them. And then, like I said, Washington. And then the loser of tonight's Chargers and Raiders game will be on the schedule as well. So, you know, I guess if you're looking at the Chargers again, along with the Buccaneers, the Patriots, the Bills,
2: people are going to look at that and I think it's a very easy schedule. Does, does that matter at all? I mean, is, is this something that Browns fans should be worrying about, or is this the kind of thing that, you know, you do when you're a losing team and you're trying to scrape out wins, but if you're supposed to be good, just go play?
3: Can, can I tell you some teams that played first-place schedules this year? Buffalo, they're in the playoffs. Pittsburgh, they're probably in the playoffs. Tennessee has the one seed and hasn't had Derrick Henry all year. Kansas City played a first-place schedule. They have their, They won their division again. Uh, Green Bay played a first place schedule. (laughs) You know, I mean, like, it's, it's interesting. It's intriguing to talk about this stuff, but ultimately like if you're a good team, you go win the games, You, you, you go win football games. That's how it works.
1: You know, I mean, I, I really do. I I've always been very big on the strength of the opponent. I, I harp on that a lot. I've done that a lot over the past couple of years, you know, talking about, you know, when they finished last season and the strength of their defenses and things like that. So Uh I really do I'm very, very big on that. I think we, I don't know, I think a lot of people tend to underestimate the strength of the opponent, even in a performance. Like you'll hear people say, Oh my God, TJ Watt, you know, had four sacks, or or, Miles Garrett had four and a half sacks. I mean, like you really do have to take into account, okay, who was that against and what was what were the circumstances? So Uh, I think the fact that they are playing some really good teams next year. uh, I think, I think that's very significant and good quarterbacks. You know, if you're playing really good quarterbacks and Doug, as you mentioned, the bar is set really high with quarterbacks in in the AFC. The bar is, is, is pretty darn high. Go
4: ahead, Scott. I was going to say, remember the Browns played a third quote unquote third place schedule this year. And that meant that put the Patriots and the Cardinals, on their schedule and those games didn't work out so great.
3: Because I, I do agree, Merrick. I think the schedule does make a difference. But at the same time, if you're a good team, if you're a team that wants to win the Super Bowl, right? Like Kansas Kansas City is going to get picked to win the Super Bowl next year by a bunch of people. And right. they're going to have a they're going to have a first place schedule. So like right. you know yeah. if,
1: you if beat that's your teams. goal. You got you got to beat it, those you teams. Know. You've got to beat the good teams. That's one thing that this football team is going to have to learn to mm-hmm. do. And defensively they're ready to beat the good teams. Defensively, and I've said this the past few weeks, I think there were a lot of offenses that would not have wanted to face Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Denzel Ward, JOK, Greg Newsome. That defense can hang with, I think, anybody. But if you're going to beat those good teams, you've got to be able to score some freaking points next year.
0: I think, too, I think it was Scott's earlier point about just how how quickly things can change and like I even think back to this year before the Browns went into that Patriots game and everyone was kind of like oh they should pretty easily win that game New England's kind of floundering and then like to look at what they did the rest of the year and I think like this time last year there were probably a lot of teams on the Browns schedule that were like that's going to be a tough team next year and the Browns ended up you know not being as tough as I think everyone thought they would be this time a year ago uh in this season so I definitely see the the side of how quickly things can change and you might not be able to glean as much as, as you think you are from a schedule uh, at this point for the next season.
2: I think I agree with, with everything everybody's saying. I agree with you can't tell what the schedule is going to be based on now, but I do agree with Mary Kay. Like once you get to September, like the strength of your opponents matters, but the idea like for now, it's like, well, hey, They 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 finish third. So they get Washington instead of the Giants. Man, don't you wish they could play the Giants because Daniel Jones stinks. And then it's like the Giants trade for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson this offseason. It's like, oh, well, they're different. I just remember the year in 2019, the Freddie Kitchens year, like when the, the Browns had the Niners on the schedule. It's like, oh, the Niners, I'll play the Niners. Niners aren't supposed to be very good. And then the Niners like drafted Nick Bosa. And then went to the Super Bowl that year, and the Niners were 4-12 and 12 the year before. So, like, yep. you can – stuff can flip very quickly. So, getting wound up about the schedule in January, no. Yeah. Thinking the schedule when you get to September matters, yes. And I think, I think both those things are true. All right, we'll end with this then along these lines. Draft pick stuff is, is similar along those lines. Mary Kay, I know that you wrote – at the conclusion of the game today. All right. So if they're in with Baker, that's the plan. If that's the plan, then got to fix other stuff on the offense. Where do you think, and this is just a tease again, we don't want to give too much away. We got like eight months of offseason stuff. Mm -hmm. Where's where, what are, what are the early targets for where they should be thinking in the draft, what they should be thinking in free agency. And are you confident that they will come back with a better offense around the quarterback next year?
1: Well, instead of stating the obvious here, because we all know that they need to upgrade the receiving core, right? I mean, that that's just obvious. They need to replace Odell. They need to figure out Jarvis. Um, and they, they need an overhaul there. But I'm going to talk about, for a second, an area that I am concerned about. And it's something that I don't know that we have really addressed it very much. I've been writing it for the past couple of days. And that is Jack Conklin. Jack Conklin uh, suffered a torn patella tendon and had it repaired in the first week of December, that surgery can be either like a six to 12 month recovery depending. And I know that's, you know, that's a a wide disparity, six to 12 months, but you know, if he's on the short end of that, obviously they should be good to go at right tackle. If he is on the long end of that, they are not good at right tackle at all. And, in addition to that, they have to figure out how they think they're doing at left tackle. And again, he, you know, Jed finished I think sixty third or something like that amongst offensive tackles, and they think he's going to be better next year because of injuries and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But I think those two offensive tackle spots, I think those are a concern. I think those are a concern, and they uh, they have to go out and they have to find two other decent tackles to, to to add to this football team because you can't do the whole you know Blake Hans thing and James Hudson thing against next year now I think James Hudson will uh, you know they expect him to improve next year and, and he should be better but I mean Jack Conklin is is an all- pro right tackle and you can do a lot of things with your offense when you have a guy like that over there So that's an area of concern and they're going to have to figure out how to solve that. And I don't think we're going to know for a while exactly when Jack Conklin is going to be back and how, I think we all, I don't know, at least I was kind of just assuming, Oh, Jack will be back next year. No problem. But now I am having my doubts.
2: So is there a lot of confidence then? Like I think we've had two interesting off seasons here with the Browns where the first year of Andrew Barry, um you know they do go get a guy like jack conklin they they clearly focused sort of on the offensive side of the ball and then they come back and last off season they absolutely revamped the defense we've already sort of talked about you think maybe they can just sort of specifically target the passing game a little bit right now just before we get into like our actual off season podcasts um is there is there belief that this offense can make a significant improvement next year because they will have the ability to add enough guys to make a difference or or is there, are there people doubting that?
3: I think so. I mean, you, you know, you can go out and sign a veteran wide receiver. You can draft a guy behind him. Um, I mean, you never know what you're going to get from rookie receivers. If It's going to be Jamar chase or if it's going to be somebody that takes a little time to kind of figure it out. But um, you know, I think you can hedge a little bit in that regard. Uh, You know, another thing that I think they have to sort of hedge against is like, Brayton Hunt missed eight games this year. Or what was it? Was it nine games? He missed eight games. Yeah. I'm still in the 16 game mode. Yeah. He missed nine games and this is the first year he's really dealt with injuries.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And we know that position, you know, I I'm sure he'll be back and he'll be fine, but the way he plays and the way he runs, I think it's just something you have to kind of keep in mind as you navigate this off season, just make sure you have, you're not going to find another guy that gives you exactly what Kareem Hunt gives you, but just make sure you have a little Kareem Hunt insurance, maybe. Um, it's, it's little things like that, that that they kind of have to sort out, too, on top of the big stuff.
4: Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, a first-round tender on Dearness Johnson? Uh, <laughs> I don't
2: know. Please save that for I, the uh, three-hour Dearness Johnson <laughs> podcast that we will do sometime <laughs> in March.
4: Yeah. I mean, I to- I, I'm totally expecting the offense to – to be in a better place next season. I mean, I I know week one was a long time ago, but it looked really good that, that day. Uh, Baker looked really good that day. Uh, everybody was healthy that day. Um, and I'm not ready to give up on Jed Wills just yet. I cannot even remember why Chris Hubbard is on IR, but, uh, either having him back or upgrading their swing tackle should be a huge offseason priority. I don't know if, yeah, Blake Hans can play a lot of positions, but I, you need somebody as that swing tackle who can be a a long-term solution in a situation like this and not a guy that you think, well, you can get through a couple games with them. What do you have to get through seven or eight with them? You know? Uh, And I don't know if that guy's on the roster um, outside of Chris Hubbard.
2: Okay, so I just got to say that in Garrett Wilson, make sure I get it out there. Keep my streak alive. Um, Scott, we think they're probably picking like 13th, right, at this point?
4: Yeah, the Dolphins and Saints both had double-digit leads at halftime. And if they both win, then the Browns are pretty much stand put at 13.
2: So 13. just a quick look. The last 12 years in the NFL draft, uh, eight of those years, a receiver or multiple receivers went before. 13 four of those 12 years there was no receiver taken before 13 like if, for instance when the browns drafted Corey coleman he was the first receiver off the board at 15 so i think you have to figure out who's the first receiver off the board it feels like the draft people think right now it would be garrett wilson i don't think it's a guarantee i think somebody might love fall in love with Jamison williams it's a deep threat for instance and i'm much less interested in Jamison williams for the browns but i think i mean there's no doubt that a good receiver is going to be there at 13 for them and I think it will be something that we dive in big time on because man, are we all going to be shocked if they don't take a receiver in the first round at this point or would, are can anything happen? I no, no, I wouldn't
3: be shocked if, if they went a different direction at all. Um, it, which is funny. Cause I think the last two years, it's been so obvious, like, Oh, they need a left tackle. Of course. They're going to take a left tackle at 10. Oh, they need a cornerback. Of course, if Greg Newsom's there, they're going to take Greg Newsome. But like, I don't feel like it's, that obvious, necessarily. I think Why not?
2: Because a- a- to B- me, it's exactly that obvious.
3: I mean, I might talk myself into that by April, but I, I'm not convinced that they, depending how the draft falls, might feel like they could find their A.J. Brown or D.K. Metcalf, a guy who kind of is undervalued and you've, he's there in the second round. And maybe there's somebody they like as a best player available, whatever, wherever they end up.
2: All right. So Dan's on the record for anything could happen. I think they're taking a receiver. Ashley, we're making you pick. You're allowed to say, anything could happen, happened though. So that's not really putting you on the spot. Like I normally do.
0: Yeah. You normally do put me on the spot. I mean, I'm, I hate to say it. I think I'm with Doug. Like how do you justify
2: not taking? She a receiver? hates to say it.
0: <laughs> I hate to say it. I hate agreeing with Doug. I hate it more than literally anything else that I have to do in this job. Agreeing with Doug. Number one on the list.
2: But I Doug, mean, can you just, can you clip that and send that? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so much go, like the things I'll that people it. in my house say to me. So yeah, add I will send that files.
0: <laughs> we should just get a button and you can press me saying that anytime anyone has to agree with Doug on something. But I mean no, I look at look at this season. The the performance at receiver was just abysmal. And I mean I agree with what everyone else said given you know everything else that they have to kind of be on the lookout for this year and even like what i've, I've talked about edge rushers if, if clowny leaves but i think like there's a lot of water coming in the boat in terms of your wide receivers right now and you have to deal with getting that out before we're looking at the nautical map of where we're going there are bigger problems to fix in terms of the receivers that i think you, you might need a draft and you might need to bring somebody in in free agency to fix them at this point because before this game I was sitting there uh, with Dan looking at the stats on receivers and coming into this one Donovan Peoples-Jones was the top receiver on this team in terms of yards with 559 coming into today. That's just not going to cut it to win uh, a lot of games. It just isn't. So something has to get figured out there, I think. And I do think Donovan is good in his role when they put him there. Um, we've seen that he struggles when they put him in that X receiver role. I just think they need more help.
1: You know, the there's fact, one. Oh, go ahead, Scott. You go.
4: Let's see. The fact that Sashi Brown, or not Sashi Brown, the fact that who's, – who's the GM? Uh, Andrew Berry still an, uh, an analytically driven uh, front office guy. The fact that he traded up to draft a linebacker in the last draft, I think all bets are off on him doing what we expect him to do at this point.
1: That, that is very true. Uh, the other thing I think to consider is um, what if, what if some veteran quarterback becomes available in a trade? And you might have to give up that first round pick to get that quarterback. So that's one of the things Uh, That I've been, you know, saying and writing that there is, you know, that would be the thing that would kind of throw me off the scent of, of a first round receiver. Other than that, I probably would go first round receiver because it's a premium position. And if you feel like you've got your quarterback and you've got your left tackle and you've got your cornerbacks and you've got your edge rusher, it is time. You need to score some freaky points on this offense. Like I said before, uh, Jamar Chase 13 touchdown passes catches that's two fewer than the Browns had going into this game
0: and he broke the Bengals franchise single season receiving record today and that came out immediately after but right like that that's the options that are there essentially potentially so
1: I, I would I'm I'm on the receiver train in the first round I would even trade up for one uh, for, for a really good one. Um unless unless you find your quarterback and you need a first
3: round to get him. Does does anybody can I throw this out there? Does anybody think there's a possibility, a scenario where the Browns go through this draft process and they fall in love with, let's say, Kenny Pickett? And they say Kenny Pickett can run our offense. He's perfect. What are perfect. we doing? What are we, we bring doing?
2: Bring him in. We, we can started put him the podcast. With the Brads are committing to Baker Mayfield, and now we're ending it with the two longest tenured beat writers saying, Well, they might trade their first round pick for a quarterback. And the other one's saying, well, they might draft a quarterback in the first round. You are killing our audience and me. Just, You're killing I'm me. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, is
3: does anyone think that's a possible? And it doesn't have to be Kenny Pick. Boy, whoever. I'm just saying that name. Like this guy can run our offense. This guy, we can put him behind our line in our run game with whatever receivers we sign or draft and we can do what the Patriots did with Mac Jones. Is that, is
2: that possible? Here's the thing. And, and, and I think uh, I was having a Twitter conversation with, with somebody today, just so people know they're not rebuilding. If for whatever reason Baker Mayfield would not be the quarterback next year, you're dropping in somebody else that you think you can make the playoffs with next year and or you think can be your franchise quarterback. And and Mac Jones is the example. This is not, we're going to, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, like, oh, well, we drafted the quarterback. I guess we're going to be terrible again. Like that, they're done with that. The idea is you've built up the franchise around the quarterback. And now the decision is, do you keep him or do you drop somebody else right in a spot and win? So just so people know that it is not a rebuild discussion at all. The idea of, I don't think Kenny Pickett's going to be there, but to what you're saying, Dan, especially if they identify a guy in the process, like we're not going to, that guy's not going to get to us at 13. And he just did. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that's impossible, but they fall. Matt Corral, man, he can sling it. He's a leader. He runs it really well. He comes from a high flight. Like we love Matt Corral. There's no way he's getting to 13. Oh, there he is. Like, I don't think that's impossible. I don't. So
4: I think a good draft position prediction will be that they draft a quarterback. They, they haven't had anybody since Baker, um, but I think it's something they they're probably they, they kind of have to do at some point. I mean, they they have to. Browns drafted a quarterback the year after they got Bernie Kosar. I mean, a lot of teams they draft
2: quarterbacks late, and you know, and you develop them. Where I, mean, I am right now is receiver in the first round, quarterback in the second.
1: And Doug, the reason why. Dan and I, throughout those two possibilities, <laughs> is because we have a great series coming up no, over know, the dude. next week God. where we are I going know. to explore yeah, all yeah, of
3: teasing that,
2: teasing that might be dangerous. Oh, my God. So we
1: don't want to get locked in anything.
2: <laughs> no. No, you're not locked. I mean, I think, I think the jail and hurt scenario remains an interesting scenario right? That like Jalen hurts. I don't know that anybody He was a really good college player. I don't know that anybody thought Jalen hurts coming out as a sure thing quarterback, but the Eagles said, what the heck take roll the dice a little bit. And all of a sudden the Eagles are making the playoffs. The Eagles signed their quarterback to an extension before his fourth season. He was a yes. And then at the end of year five, Carson Wentz was done and they are making the playoffs this year in the first year of Jalen Hurts as a full-time starter because they had other things. Now, they got a little lucky and stuff happens, but they had other things in place around him. So I just think I hope I, – I understand why there may be some portion of the fan base that they react to any discussion of a different quarterback as like, well, here we go again. It's not. Everything we just talked about with the hope for the defense, with the offensive line, with Nick Chubb, with what they're going to be able to add – Elsewhere on the offense. It's not. It is 100% all about having a quarterback they can make the playoffs with next year. That's it. And it it very well, it might be Baker Mayfield. It certainly could be. They've made the playoffs with Baker Mayfield. It certainly could be. But if it's not Baker Mayfield, it doesn't mean they're not trying to make the playoffs. It means they're trying to make the playoffs even more. So let's end it with that. Scott you look like the queen bohemian rhapsody guys scott figured out this lighting system they're all everybody is in a weird little section of the press box at first energy scott is in the dark i wish i will take a picture and tweet it i'll screenshot it and send it out to the world so here scott hold your face still there you go looks good all right so this has been an enjoyable season doing this podcast we're excited to add ashley to the group we have this entire offseason ahead of us. We're going to continue to talk and write about the Cleveland Browns because you guys are interested and they didn't make the playoffs this year, but they remain interesting for now for Scott Pasco, for Ashley Bastock, for Dan Lobby and Mary Kay Cabot. I'm Doug LaMaurice and that was the orange and Brown talk podcast.